Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. Today, we're talking about how the pandemic may be affecting children's social and emotional development. This is something that Anne and I have been thinking and talking about quite a bit recently. Yeah, the other day I had an experience where I was out for a walk and I saw a little girl with her mom. She was probably about three years old and they were crossing the street and I was waiting to cross the street and the little girl just stopped in the middle of the street and she was tugging on her mom's jacket and pointing at me. And I realized from their gestures and from hearing a little bit of their conversation that she was so afraid of getting close to other people that she was afraid to cross the street. Mm -hmm. And the mom had probably taught her, you know, that now with social distancing, you have to look out for people on the sidewalk and you can't get very close to them. But she had learned the lesson so well that she just stopped in the middle of the street. And that made me really sad that this is the kind of lesson that children are learning now. But I also could really understand why the mom would want to teach her child social distancing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important because it's for the family's safety and for the, the child's safety. But at the same time, it really makes you wonder how much these children are ingraining these lessons and behaviors, whether that means that we're going to be raising, you know, inevitably a generation of kids who are very fearful of other people in terms of getting too close to them because of germs and whether that even goes further into, you know, a sense of germophobia. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. And I'm also wondering just on all of the social, the fun social contact that kids are missing out on right now because they're not going to school and they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, playing with kids as much as they used to. So I'm really wondering what the long-term impact is going to be on children's social emotional development. Yeah, me too. And I can only imagine. And I'm just really grateful because this podcast episode today that we're doing, we have a very special guest with us who has a lot of background in this type of thing. And hopefully we'll provide some answers. Um, She's written for us before on the Britannica for Parents site. She is our guest expert and family therapist, Ellen B. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're so glad that you have time to talk to us today. Could you start by introducing yourself and um, telling our listeners a little bit about your work? Yes, absolutely. So I am a licensed clinical professional counselor, and I currently work as assistant clinical director and a staff therapist at a practice called Chicago Psychotherapy. I see ages, you know, three into well into adulthood, both in individual and family therapy 
formats, but primarily focus on the treatment of anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, and mood disorders in children and adolescents. So what are you seeing in your practice? Are you seeing patients or clients who are more fearful due to the pandemic? Yeah, we are certainly seeing an increase in general, you know, in youth and adults as well. There certainly is an increase in anxiety. With anxiety specific around the pandemic, we certainly are having more parents actually reach out. And the reason for that is, I believe, wanting to support children and also having the parents have a place to be able to help talk about navigating how to really support their children during this time. Yeah, so are the parents, they're coming to you because they themselves could use counseling or because they're seeing certain behavior and anxieties in their children and just want to make sure that they know how to best support their kids? Or is it both? It's it's a little bit of both. Right now, there are children who certainly are suffering a big loss right now with not having the structure of school. Activities that they used to have as an outlet like sports are really being taken away right now. And so it's helping kids navigate some of that. But it's also parents. Parents are having difficulty navigating the best ways to support their children and also with a lot of the uncertainty. Parents also need some extra support in building some of the toolbox of coping for themselves but also for their families. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe give us some examples of what these fears and anxieties look like at home? You know, a family at home with little kids, what are they experiencing? Absolutely. With younger kids, you know, there are different ways that anxiety presents itself. A lot of the times it can show up in four different areas that cognitively, behaviorally, physically, and emotionally. So we see a lot of kids, especially with the cognitive part, are expressing a lot of worry. You know, what happens if I get sick? How do I get sick? What happens if you get sick? And these are questions that, you know, older children are having as well. And what that leads to is that this excessive worry then changes the way that kids are behaving. So kids maybe are a little more fearful of even going outside even if it is just in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And they're withdrawing and they're wanting this need for control. But again, unfortunately, with some of the unknowns, it's really difficult for children to grasp and feel like they have control right now. So how do you, as a therapist, help them? What are some of the strategies or techniques that you use? With children, it's first asking what they know about the pandemic and what they know specifically about COVID and developing you know, age-appropriate ways to explain what is happening while also helping children understand that there are things that are well within their control, like hand washing, wearing masks when appropriate, and staying home if they're feeling ill. With some of the kind of uncertainty too, part of what we're teaching children is that, you know, there's some inherent unknown in most of our lives and that we cannot predict and, you know, have everything at our whim. And so being able to help children also navigate some of the unknown and the distress that follows that and learning and teaching that it's okay to not have all of the answers and to also be able to cope and self-soothe in those moments. For parents, we also know that anxiety is interpersonal and children are really looking for parents in moments of distress. And so parents have a really big role in this situation where they can model effective coping skills and they can also model ways to deal with distress or uncertainty. It must be really hard though because parents, I feel like there's a lot more stress on them because they have to be 
even a bigger role model to their children so that these anxieties don't manifest too far for them because they're going to have to not only support their kids, but also demonstrate, you know, washing hands and wearing masks. I just feel like there's a lot more pressure put on the parents now. Certainly, there's pressure put on the parents, but I think this is a really good opportunity again to be able to model adaptive coping skills. And so while it's shifted the way that parents are teaching their children about anxiety or worries or unknowns, I think the way that we see it is that it's a really good opportunity and it's really validating that we're hearing from parents because they're really wanting to teach their kids the appropriate tools. And I assume that these conversations you're having with children and parents are remote, like they're virtual conversations. And that must be different for you as a therapist to to talk to families that way. What is that like for you? Yes, absolutely. It's certainly a shift doing telehealth with small children and families. And (laughs) I think part of it is also one being a bit more creative with how we meet. And, you know, for a lot of kids, it's also opened up this opportunity for them to share a part of their lives. And so a lot of show and tell, I get a lot of, uh, you know, remote tours of their houses (laughs) and places that they like to be in. And so in some ways, it's actually allowed my sessions to be almost a bit more intimate. Whereas I think coming to the office, sometimes you don't get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Do you feel like they're more comfortable with you? And do you feel like some kids are even opening up more than they would if they were in your office? Yes, I've definitely seen kids become more comfortable. I think, again, there's the familiarity of being in a place that is safe and being able to share that with someone that's been safe for them as well. Do they ever show you their toys or their pets or not just a show and tell kind of thing, but something that actually helps them in their therapy? Definitely. So one of the things that I like to do with kids is to practice some grounding or mindfulness techniques. And that often requires children to be a bit creative. And so what I will say is, you know, can you find three different things in your room that have different textures? And it's almost like this little scavenger hunt for them. And it's there's a lot of pride in children being able to find that and show that. So when you say three textures, that would be like something soft, like a pillow, something rough, something smooth like that? Mm-hmm. Correct. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that grounding con- technique is, I can imagine, like very helpful for them because it's so tactile. With children and the shift with everything, have you had a lot of the same questions being asked or the same fears? Or, you know, I can imagine that so much of what you guys talk about in, in sessions has kind of shifted. And it's also been probably very similar for a lot of the kids as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of the same worries and fears around COVID. You know, initially, I think, when stay at home had started, there were a lot of questions about if I would get sick and what happens if a family member gets sick. I've also seen this fear and worry about what things will look like moving forward. Now that camps have been canceled for the summer, again, activities have been taken away and school has moved to distance learning. You know, there still are a lot of unknowns. And so some of the questions kids are now asking are, when will we return? And if we do return, what will it look like? Yeah, those are difficult questions. I mean, that's a lot of grief that they're dealing with, the grief of losing something that they had been looking forward to for so many months or the grief of not being able to go to that party with their friends or, yeah. And certainly, and what we know right now is that that big loss can actually then contribute to feelings of anxiety or depression or sadness in kids because, again, loss is something that we're all going through right now and grieving through our normal outlets 
habits that have been removed or at least temporarily removed. And so it's certainly worrisome for us. And we know that it can correlate to then these feelings of kids being isolated or not again having some of the stimulation and connection that they normally would if they were seeing their friends or families in person. So when children do start returning to school and having opportunities to be together with other kids again, do you think that It'll take a while for children to sort of relearn how to be a friend or how to play with their friends. It might take some navigating. You know, that transition, I think, is something that kids are certainly looking forward to. I think in the meantime, kids have still been able to socialize with their friends, whether that now means more FaceTime calls or Zoom playdates. I've also had some kids do virtual sleepovers. <laughs> uh, and so they're certainly staying in touch. And I think there certainly is this need and this craving for these in-person interactions. And so it, it might look different, right? So going back to school or being in person with friends, maybe now we have to wear masks or be a bit more mindful and conscious of other people who are around us. What about um, children who don't have siblings? Do you see a difference in, in terms of how the stay-at-home has affected only children as compared to children with siblings? Mm -hmm, absolutely. I think speaking to some of my clients who are only children, while they love their parents and their family very much, I think <laughs> they're craving a lot of peer interactions. And that can be mm -hmm. tough because, again, so much of that social and emotional development happens with kids who are similar in age. And so, you know, at this point now, for myself personally, three months, that's really difficult for an only child to navigate. And it's been difficult for them to experience play in the same ways as they would with their friends. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they can't, you know, even the greatest parents who can easily play pretend and, you know, that doesn't bother them and doing the make believe stories, they're not on the same level. And so I feel like the kids almost would probably get bored with the parents <laughs> of just like, that's not what I want. <laughs> yes, there's definitely some some boredom. And I think on top of that, too, it's difficult to navigate some of the scheduling as a lot of parents are still working from home. And mm -hmm. so a big part of that is kids who are wanting to play with other peers, but not having siblings and sometimes not having the parents being around or available because of their own work. You know, we should probably note that we're having this conversation from the Chicago area and the state of Illinois has been on a pretty strict lockdown for quite a while. I know there are other parts of the country that have been opening up and we may be talking to parents who are in communities where children are starting to have play dates or are starting to go to child care centers. So I'm wondering, as we think ahead for Illinois and we think about people in other states who are already starting to venture out, do you have any advice for parents and how to prepare their children for being out and, and being with people again? Yeah, I think the most important thing, again, is to share developmentally appropriate facts with children about what we know. And as we continue to stay, at least in Chicago, at home, and we're moving into these phases of opening, we're getting more data on what is, you know, safe and what is worthwhile. And certainly sharing that with your children, again, in a developmentally appropriate way, I think is a great tool in helping them understand that there are still things that we can do we just have to be a bit more flexible with the ways that we're thinking about them. You know, in our in our podcasts and a lot of our articles on Britannica for Parents, we're focused on young children quite a bit. But 
I've been reading a lot about adolescents and teenagers and how they're developmentally more risk takers. So are you seeing in your practice when you're working with families with adolescents that there are issues around teenagers who want to go out and see their friends even before they have permission from their families to do that? Certainly. I think (laughs) teenagers are able to have, you know, a bit more control over that. And again, while some of them do have conversations with their families, it's something that is discussed that's based on a value system. And again, just what's worthwhile. And so while these teens may be going out and seeing their friends more frequently, they're still practicing as best they can some of these socially distant methods like wearing masks or personally for a lot of my clients sitting out in a backyard six feet apart. Mm-hmm. Of course, like my story of my sister is, is very unique, but I was very surprised she's she's a teenager and her friends are taking it very seriously, but they do still want to see each other. So what they've ended up doing is going to a park and having like a six feet apart picnic, like on a regular basis. And I just think that that's so cool. But also I find it interesting and, and hopeful that they are, you know, still trying to adhere to the guidelines, but also balance with that need to see each other over summer. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk more about the future. I've been reading in the media predictions that when schools reopen, there's going to be a greater need for social workers and mental health services kind of across the board as children are adjusting. And many families have lost loved ones and they've experienced loss and trauma. Can you sort of speak to the field of, of mental health professionals and what you're hearing and what you're expecting in terms of the the needs in the future? You know, in general, the trend is that we're seeing a large increase in anxiety across youth and mixed in with the pandemic that we're going through right now. You know, there certainly is a cost for children and their mental health, especially if kids are feeling more isolated or if some families don't have the privilege of being at home with their parents, if their parents are working or in the field. And so there's inherently a bit more worry and fear that comes with that. Right now, we're in the stages of, you know, psychological first aid, where we're trying to address some of the fears and worries and being able to, again, build some of the tools for coping. You know, what we see long term, unfortunately, we cannot predict that, but we might see depression and having to work through some of the, you know, unfortunate family loss or loss of friends or things of that sort due to COVID and process some of the trauma for the children. I want to ask about some examples of coping. Well, before I do that, I was wondering if you could give our listeners some examples of how some of these anxieties might manifest in their kids, just, you know, how maybe they can keep an eye out for certain things. And I know, again, everything is unique to an individual, but what are some of the the examples that you've seen that a lot of kids are showing because they're becoming more anxious around COVID or something? I think we're seeing a lot of cognitive changes. And so what that means is just kind of worry that pop up specifically around COVID. So how the virus spreads, what happens if someone were to contract the virus. Um, What we see is then a huge increase in reassurance-seeking behaviors or questions. So that might be a child who says, Mom, can you explain to me how this works again? Are you sure we're safe? How do you know we're safe? Mm -hmm. 
And these questions, while they're valid, sometimes they can increase some of those reassurance-seeking behaviors and questions. And so, Mm -hmm. again, this is a really good opportunity for parents to model some of the effective coping. Parents have a really, you know, big role in being able to shift the way that they're responding to their children so that they're teaching their children ways to experience this. You know, physically, children may also experience anxiety just in terms of, you know, increased heart rate, sometimes backaches or headaches, stomach aches are pretty common too. Another one that we've noticed as well is some sleep issues. So some sleep disturbance just with some of the routine that has shifted. Mm -hmm. With younger children as well, sometimes, again, with worry or fight or flight is activated and some younger kids tend to have the fight response. So another way that anxiety can manifest is in a bit more irritability. What about accidents? Like maybe they've been potty trained and then suddenly now they're wetting their bed. Is that something that you've seen also? Mm -hmm. That certainly can be something that happens as well, almost like a regression of progress that they've made. Interesting. So then what are some examples of coping that you have tried to encourage your clients? Coping could be, again, focusing on the things that are well within the child's control. So being able to wash their hands when appropriate, wearing masks if they are in areas where they cannot safely distance themselves. Another way to practice coping is to help kids understand that there is going to be some level of uncertainty and that it's okay to actually sit with some of the distress stress. So a lot of our work is helping children practice distress tolerance and parents as well, because parents tend to want to protect their children or rescue their children. And what often happens is this accommodation cycle, you know, this goes for children and for their parents as well, but teaching them that distress tolerance is okay, that we can lean into some of the fear, knowing that there are still things that are well within our control and understand that the things that are not within our control are things that are continuing to happen and will continue to happen and that that's okay. That's really hard to do, I think, (laughs) as a parent. You know, when your child is upset to not try to fix it or not try to distract them. Like I I know as a parent, I can think of times when my daughter was younger and she was upset about something. You know, I knew as an early childhood professional that it was good to reflect her feelings. So I would say, you know, I know you're really upset right now. I can see that you're crying. But then I have to say as a parent, after a while, I was like I was done with it. Like I wanted to move. I wanted to move on. Like as a parent, it's hard to know. Like okay, when is it enough? When have you affirmed enough? And now it's time to to live your life, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think that's come into play a lot because again, parents have a unique role in that their behavior can actually influence their children's anxiety. And so it's a fine scale. And and you know, discussing what accommodations actually are because what I hear from a lot of parents is well sometimes I just rescue or I avoid a situation because I know that there's going to be a tantrum or I know that they're going to react in this way. And frankly, I don't have the energy or the space to be able to deal with that right now. And so accommodations can be any behaviors that parents engage in really to try to alleviate their child's anxiety, but sometimes also to alleviate their own anxiety. And again, what we don't want to teach children is that when they're in distress, they don't rely on their parents to continually rescue them so that they're avoiding an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. What we want to be able to teach children is that they can cope independently and that, again, they can tolerate a little bit of distress. 
if we can do that now, they'll be much more adaptable for when things do get better. And there's not going to be maybe as much of a jarring switch. What Anne and I had said at the beginning is I think we're both questioning how much impact this will have. And I know that kids are very adaptable. And but at the same time, this is such a big experience. And it's one that everyone is having. So will it be something that is hindering them for a long time and making them fearful? And so if they can learn these skills now, it'll help when they're not needed as much. Absolutely. You know, parents and children are learning a lot during this phase. And again, I think part of it is the resiliency that's built as well. And with some of the distress tolerance, you're right, it's not unique to just the pandemic, but it could also come up in other ways, shapes and forms later down the road in their lives and other transition periods that they encounter. Alan, do you have any advice for parents about how to tell when or if they should seek some professional support? Because we're all stressed. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, how do we know when it's, it's so much stress that you really need help? Of course, of course. Yes, we, we all, again, experience stress. And that's also our body's natural response system. I also want to note that anxiety isn't necessarily bad. It's our inbuilt alarm system. So it's, it's meant to keep us safe. But right now, it's triggering a bigger alarm because of the pandemic going on. Most of the times, I recommend parents seeking out professional help when some of these behaviors, right, so cognitively, behaviorally, emotionally, start to impact day-to-day functioning. So kids are at home right now, but it might be that they're withdrawing from family members or they're withdrawing from wanting to be able to spend time with friends. It might be that there are increased behaviors in wanting to sleep in mom and dad's bed or not wanting to sleep alone. Uh, it could also be excessive worry and reassurance-seeking questions. So at any point where it becomes a bit disruptive, where maybe children are avoiding certain things, that's certainly when I recommend parents reach out and at least talk to a mental health professional about some of the behaviors and what they could do and what they might recommend. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. And I think it's also just helpful to, to note too that it goes both ways. The parents shouldn't feel like they can't also seek support for themselves because they are having to support their kids, but they also need to remember to take care of themselves. And you're only going to be able to support someone even better if you yourself can help. Absolutely. And again, I, I hope that it's validating for parents hearing that it's okay to reach out for help and that it's okay also to give yourself some of the credit. You know, we've never gone through this before. And so a lot of us are navigating the day-to-day things a bit differently. And so again, being able to find support, not only for parents themselves, but for their children, it's a huge thing that they can do to create and build that toolbox for success in the future. I'm glad you mentioned that because not only are parents having to do all the hard work of parenting in a really stressful time, but many of them are also being asked to teach their children, you know, at home when schools are closed. And I've seen a lot in the media about parents who are struggling to do that. It's it's a tall order. Yeah. So I have a lot of admiration for, for any parent who um, just makes it through the day under these really challenging circumstances. Yes. Parents really do need to give them 
themselves that credit. And again, this is a good opportunity for parents to be able to model effective coping skills like taking a break or taking some deep breaths, maybe going on a mindfulness walk with their children. And so again, parents are human too, and we struggle with all of these things that are going on. It's okay to take that break and it's okay to maybe take a step back for yourself. Yeah. And to reach out to other parents too, I mm-hmm. would I would suggest, you know, other people are going through the same thing. Yeah. It's nice to have that support system and also to soundboard as well. Like, oh, you're also going through this. What did you do? (laughs) So as we wrap up, um, Alan, do you have any final words of wisdom for parents and how to support their children during this time? Yeah, um, I would say we certainly have to think and be a bit more creative with how we're handling things, whether that's teaching our kids or, you know, being able to see friends. We just have to think a little differently about things that are going on. And we kind of like to think of it almost like a design challenge, right? The art of living is the design that, you know, we mix our lives with the values that are important to us. And it's no different right now during the pandemic, but the parameters are different. And so still being able to design our lives, but again, practicing it with a bit more creativity and flexibility right now. I like that design challenge. You know, this conversation has really made me feel hopeful because we started out talking about fears and how um, we're afraid that the children who are young now are going to grow up to be more a more fearful generation. But Ellen, you've really helped me see that this could also be a generation of children who grow up to be more resilient, mm-hmm. who grow up to be problem solvers. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Alan. I think you've definitely provided our listeners with a lot of good information as well as some good tips they can use in their own lives with their own families. Of course. Thank you. And thank you for having this discussion. I think it's really important to be able to share this with the community. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. Special thanks to our guest today, Ellen B., for sharing her wisdom and expertise on this important and timely topic. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host is Anne Gadzikowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. This program is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica Incorporated. All rights reserved.